Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we are back here on Tough Talk. I want to thank everyone who's tuning in tonight for tuning in. Uh, I've got a very special episode for you guys tonight. Uh, obviously, one of the big uh, controversies, news events that's happened this week, uh, the Virginia Republican Party, at their most recent state central committee meeting, uh, voted to go with an assembled convention uh, where was we were told it was going to be Liberty University. Uh, we don't know if that's the case still, technically. Ever some uh, stuff came out on on Wednesday night, but we have three people who all have uh, influence over the situation uh, here with me tonight. First, the newly anointed chairman of the Federation of uh, College Republicans, uh, Trevor Webb. Trevor, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. We have the chairman of the Virginia Young Republicans, uh, Thomas Turner. Thomas, thank you for coming on. <laughs> thank you so much, Joe. And then we also have former. Uh, candidate for the Republican Party in Virginia's 10th district, uh, Alicia Andrews on with us tonight as well. Alicia, also thank you for coming on tonight. Thanks for having me. All right, so uh, we're just going to go in a little circuit hill. We'll start with Trevor on these topics and we'll work on down. Uh, Trevor, what happened Tuesday night? I think that's what a lot of people are maybe left in the dark on situations like this when it comes to these committee meetings. But what, what happened Tuesday night? What actually happened? So this has been a decision that's kind of been uh, culminating since December 5th, um, where as a, as a party, um, we've been trying to decide the method of nomination for our uh, candidate for governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general. Um, so our three statewide races that we have here in Virginia. Um, again, I go. I mentioned back that December 5th uh, meeting, um, it's, this is just, we, it's come to the climax. Um, we, there's two sides, uh, two defined sides. Um, one side who, who is pro-primary really, but has uh, kind of offered a concession in, in the terms of a canvas. And then the other side that really was immovable on the idea of a convention. Um, so <laughs> again, they came to a climax um, the, the other day and the other night and uh, <laughs> well, Obviously, we have our decision for an in-person assembled convention, um, and <laughs> we don't really uh, have a whole lot of experience with this. We used it uh, the last this last summer to elect our uh, the new chairman of the Republican Party of Virginia. Um, that was an unassembled convention. Um, the only time that we've ever used like a drive-through convention really was like the fifth district, uh, the tenth district uh, convention as well um, that I was at, um, and you know, the fifth district, um, which was which was run uh, by that fifth district committee, was uh, a mess. Um, so I'm sure Thomas can go <laughs> can go into that a little bit deeper. Um, he can kind of give you the backstory, but that's really what 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 happened was the two sides were they were both pulling on the same rope, and we got tugged all the way to the to the complete wrong side of, of the issue. Yeah, I was gonna say I do want this to be, you. You all three of you voiced uh, strong opposition to the to the eventual choice of a convention. I kind of do want this to allow us to kind of be a vent session almost because I feel like that's what needs to happen to a certain extent. So Thomas, I'm gonna let you go here. Uh, you know, conventions, like you said, Tuesday night, conventions continue to be an, the, the option that it seems like they're going with in Virginia. I mean, it, why, why do you think this keeps happening, basically? You know, I, you know, I've always been a primary guy. I've ran on a primary team since I since I've been involved. I mean, you know, starting out, I've been in the Republican Party for 10 years. Um, I started in college at Liberty University. You know, Trevor and I have that bond. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, you know, I got my feet wet there and, you know, I had a great mentor get, get me involved. Um, and, you know, I was, you know, looking at a primary versus convention. Um, primaries at the end of the day always just allow more people to vote. Um, my first convention in 2013, when I saw backroom deals. Um, I saw uh, crazy antics that uh, really put a sour taste in my mouth and a lot of activist mouth. And I think it played one of the factors of why we lost. Um, and continuing on and on and on and on, especially during my time on State Central, we've had to deal with more appeals on a convention than I can count, whether it be in the 5th District, whether it be in the 7th District, where in the 7th District had a convention, uh, drive-by or unassembled convention type outside. Um, I heard stories of people having heat strokes and being had to taken off an ambulance. Uh, we had to deal with balloting issues where the ballots were dr driven, like, in, allegedly in someone's car for, like, two weeks before they were taken to RPV headquarters. Um, then um, they had to recount them, and then they re-canvassed them. Then in the appellate process, the 7th District Committee wanted to look at it, and I'm like, wait, you're in dispute, and you want to touch the ballots? And it's just like, we talk about voter fraud in the 2020 election, 
yet we, we're trying, we have the most disorganized part of our processes ever. And it frustrated the grassroots. That's why they don't trust us in Virginia right now. Uh, they, I hear all the time, um, I have served as the YRFE state chairman. I've served in my local unit vice chairman for seven years. I'm one on a district committee. So when, oh, you know, I, my stance on this is, is, is because I have a diverse experience which a lot of people don't realize. Um, they think, oh, you're the YR chair. You just, you know, you ever consider a YR. I said, no, my friend, I talk to everyone, not just my constituency to make a decision, but outside of my constituency. Because like Congress, we have to work together. And what I, you know, we tried every time we would say, hey, how are we going to do this? Um, with this recent episode, they would not come up with a plan. There was no plan. There was no explanation. They would say, oh, we're just going to do it. Uh, we had a gentleman's agreement. Who had a gentleman's agreement? You agreed amongst yourselves to have a, a a convention or an unassembled convention where you have to amend the party plan six times, and you didn't even bother to bring in the other side. I mean, the party plan is clear; it takes seventy-five percent. So obviously, the majority isn't enough. And they didn't want to bring us to the table because I believe ultimately they wanted an unassembled, a assembled convention to derail it. What it feels like more now is that they wanted it to potentially pick the nominee, which concerns me. And I don't want to say everyone in that group wants to do that, but it feels like there are elements in that group that do, um, to give preference over one candidate or another. Full disclosure, I'm supporting a candidate. Alicia Andrews and I are not supporting the same candidate for governor. Um, you know, we are on two different teams, but if her, her, her guy wins, I'm all in. If I know she's going to say the thing if my guy wins. We are here... <laughs> Um, to take back Virginia, I mean, we, you know, the CRs, uh, Trevor's organization has never seen a statewide win. I, I was a CR, the, you know, the last time we saw a statewide win. In 2009, Bob McDonald, Bill Bowling, King Kishinley swept it. And it's because we've had all this divisiveness across the state. So I don't want to belabor too long and, uh, you know, do a monologue, but that's just, uh, just my take on it. <laughs> Yeah. So Alicia, I'm going to bring you in here. You, you're a former candidate. You don't really have maybe the spin in the game as these two do as, you know, as members of state central, but you've, since Tuesday night, you've really come out hard against state central and you've called them corrupt. And I just, I just want to know what, what, as in kind of an outsider, a little bit into the process, what, what do you think happened? What, you know, what do you think is going and going through these guys' mind? Is they're like, Oh, we're just going to choose a convention over letting, you know, the people decide in a primary. Well, I think as a candidate, I'm far from an outsider, but I think that it's my responsibility to represent the people of my district, whether I'm their nominee still or not. You know, the voices of the people of my district are not being heard. They're screaming for a primary and no one's hearing the cries of the Commonwealth. They're not hearing them. They're screaming at the tops of their lungs. Every email, every letter, every phone call every everything and people just are not picking up the phone and it's very frustrating i mean even a district or even a part of my district is having a firehouse primary on the 8th and the head of my 10th congressional district voted to have the, the dang thing on the 8th you know these are things that frustrate me um and by the way if you didn't know that fun fact um <laughs> frederick county is supposed to be having their firehouse primary on the same day that we are having our convention. Fun fact, SCCC members, fun fact. Um, and I see an appeal coming before I'm done with my term on, on, the, <laughs> on the following week on May 16th. Great. <laughs> yeah. So um, in case you're wondering, fun fact. Um, and another thing that really bothers me, because truthfully, I believe a candidate should be able to win no matter what race they have to run. And that's honestly how I feel about it. I have no dog in either fight. But the reason why this bothers me so badly is because last year we learned firsthand that Governor Northam will play games. He played games in my race. He played games in the seventh and he played games across the Commonwealth. And if we think he won't, we are just doing what the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. And you can keep shaking that magic eight ball, hoping you get the different answer, but it's not going to be different. And I'm so frustrated because I know what it's like. I know how hard it is trying to get people galvanized on the other side when you're, everything's shifted a month to the right. And it's incredibly challenging. And we're hurting our party by dragging our feet. And we're, you know, Thomas 
we can be on opposite sides on on whatever but how you've been treated sir not okay and i've stood with you guys publicly and i'll continue to stand with you guys publicly no matter who the heck you vote for and here here thank you that frustrate me too is you know as a party we're not supporting one another you know honestly i don't care who the heck you guys vote for I mean, you could have voted for my opponent. I don't give a rat's patoot. The point is, is we have to come together as a party for these different things. You know, we have to be able to put our big girl and big boy underpants on and get it together because ultimately we're embarrassing ourselves. We're embarrassing ourselves at the national level with this abomination being on Facebook every stinking time. It's, I, I, y'all, I don't even know. And, you know, if it costs me votes to stand up for the young Republicans, if it costs me political clout to stand up for the college Republicans, if it pisses people off because I stand up for you guys, so what? So I'm going to fight because I think that the corruption's there because people aren't listening to the district. They're not, not hearing the people. They're not hearing the fact that we have a specific thing happening on the eighth in my district um so yes corruption's there it's happening and for the record i called liberty university i heard them i called them at eight o'clock in the morning they had no idea what the heck i was talking about i told them to google it they were very shocked at what they saw so believe what you want to don't believe what you don't want to think whatever it is that the media somehow profoundly got involved and it's the big bad media blowing down somebody's house, whatever the heck you want to believe. But the folks in the scheduling office at Liberty University had no daggum idea that something had been done. I rest yeah. my face. And I, I'll, I'll get kind of moves on to my next point. And I'll go back to Trevor here. Uh, there, there seems to be, I, you know, there's this video that came out, and it's really because of this issue of the location at Liberty University, in a parking lot with, you know, expected to be, you know, potentially twenty five thousand. I think was the number I saw. Twenty five thousand cars of people going across Liberty University, and yeah, I mean, come on, how insane does that sound? I mean, to all our listeners and to you guys, that sounds insane. But you guys were told. I, I've seen this video. You guys were told at the meeting that this had been done. Like, look, we understand it's going to be tough, but we've got it done. We were ready to go. Do you think that these committee heads, and again, I'll start with Trevor here, lied to members of the, lied to other members of the committee that they were prepared for a convention? Like, and I'll answer your question in just a second, but I want to go back to what you just mentioned because it's so important. Uh, the parking lot right? The 25,000 parking spots that we were told were available. Um, I'm a student of Liberty University. And I, I said that I was like, I, I have a unique perspective that nobody else on the committee can offer. Um, we don't have one large 25,000 space parking lot. We have two parking garages, several parking lots. We have uh, what contributes to that number is we own like part of a, a shopping mall that has those um, that has those parking spaces that's in a different zip code than what Liberty University is which contributes to the idea that I was trying to like trying to get at was that this is an unassembled assembled convention. That's really what this whole thing is. The, the idea is the unassembled assembled convention. Um, but, but going back to your point, I, I had, I had mentioned, um, I, I had asked Mr. Ginsburg, who was, at, who was answering the questions for, for um, their side, for the pro convention people. I said, um, I, I, the, the question was, do we have approval from the school? And he told me flat out that he said, yes, we wouldn't have done this otherwise. <laughs> and the following morning, <laughs> Liberty University releases a press statement saying, we do not have that because of Miss Andrews here and her hard work. We do not have that. We were never discussed. We, we, never, we were never talked to. We were um, never mentioned. We, this was never discussed. Um, like all of these, all of the refuting every single point. Um, so I posted on Twitter. I said, I was lied to as a member of the state central committee. I have the same voting strength as, as Mike Ginsburg and I was lied to. And many of those people, the 37, 38 or whatever people, they could have been uh, misguided in their vote by thinking that we were in fact going to have a place to hold our convention on May 8th. 
So this could have changed the votes of people by thinking, again, we had all of these details set in stone when this was just simply untrue. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you mentioned that. Make we, that what you will. <laughs> you mentioned that Mike Ginsburg was the one who said that. Uh, do you think he should resign from State Central after this after this episode? Do you think that he should take a leave from State Central and no longer serve on the committee? My opinion of Mike Ginsburg, and listen, I, I don't I don't doubt anyone's commitment to State Central. I, I'm sure many of them are are hardworking party members. I just don't know if Mr. Ginsburg was fed the right information when he was when he was giving when he was. I, I don't know if their side, their leaders were telling him, yes, we have we have this. Don't worry. Or if, if there was a miscommunication, um, something like that. That's that's my opinion. That's what I really think happened. Um, I don't think ill of anyone. I always want to give people the benefit of the doubt. That's what I think happened. So, again, it, it was uh, untruth that was spoken. Um, it could have it could have um, changed the votes of people. I don't necessarily think they should be resigning if unless there was some other uh, malfeasance that, that had went on. I'm yeah, sure okay. somebody else has another opinion. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, and I'll, I'll go on back to Thomas here. I mean, the, and even in the beginning, in the beginning of this, there was there was talk about if this should even be, they tried to not even live stream this. I believe mm -hmm. if I'm correct about that, they tried not to live stream this. So Thomas, I mean, kind of on the same point, do you think that, not only do you think that maybe some committee heads lied about this, but you think they were trying to hide uh, some of the events that they thought were going to happen on this day, or do you think that was maybe just a an over oversight that happened? Do you think they were actively trying to hide the process? I, you well, know, I'm going to lay this at the feet of the chairman. You know, I personally don't want my our party's dirty laundry aired on Facebook. However, our bylaws say that we have to have this accessible and public to the people. You know, when I send out my board meetings for my YR clubs, I send them to all the club chairs, and I, I assume they're going to invite their club members. I just have to assume, and I just like cool, come welcome. You can even stay for executive session since you're a you know a member of the federation. Um, so you know, and I have allowed that unless we're removing someone from office, something very very proprietary like a removal from office, which there's a legal legal side to that. Um, but we, I've always let people come to my meetings, so we had to do it. it I really didn't. I knew it was going to be chaotic, but I knew that we had to. And also, I was getting text messages, and see, this is what. I think someone, when I posted my uh, dissent about the vote, um, I had an emergency. I had to get a proxy for the rest of the meeting after I made this motion. But one of the people, you know, I had unit chairman from the 5th District say, why is it not on? I have YRs telling me, why is it not on? And I'm like, um, oh. so I, I, I had to make a motion to direct the chairman um, to do it. Now, the first thing that came from was there was a one of the district chairs was like, is this a dilatory motion because uh, we're in, well, I'll try to say we're still in executive session. We were not. Our secretary was like, no, we're, we're in open session again. And so we were there, we were going back and forth on whether to do this. And I'm sitting there going, this should be a no brainer. This whole process has been public. The whole process. And this is the, one of the biggest votes that many of us were elected to state central on, um, excluding the CRs, every single person, was elected for either primary or convention, period. Doesn't often, you know, so this is one of the biggest votes for transparency. And I was like, we owe it to them to know what we're doing. And so I made the motion and my good friend, um, fellow YR, but he represents the fourth congressional district, Levin Turner, we're not related, but <laughs> we share the same name, <laughs> last name. And we, we, said no i had to make a motion to direct the chairman there was some back and forth the chairman ultimately asked me to retract my motion and he was going to just go ahead and do it um but that that the fact that we were even having that discussion was just bizarre i do want to add to what um trevor said about liberty i called liberty university too um i called one of the senior administrators in student affairs um and he was telling me about the parking garages. And I, and I had remembered the last time I went up there, I'm an alum, I graduated in 2012, so it's been a minute, that there was one parking space near the Reber Thomas Dining Hall, and there was another one on East Campus near the tunnel. Now, if we, there's no way that that's already saying an unassembled convention. And where Trevor's talking about at the, uh, at the mall, um, it's not even attached to the campus. You literally have, like, for, let's say for Trevor, if he's on campus, he'll have to drive there to get there. You can't walk there. 
So it's it's literally not attached to the canvas. So I mean that I mean I already knew there was some misleading going on right there. Um, and but you know what shocked me is they said they were in discussions or whatever. I'm like, you didn't have a concrete plan, and this has been the problem. You know, it's the same thing with the unassembled conventions. I said, have you talked to any businesses about this? The only people who have have been the, the second district chairman, Dennis Frey, and the third district chairman, Mickey Miller. Both of them, my district chairman, Mickey Miller. And, you know, both of them have said there are problems. Um, they're not able to find anyone to host for an unassembled convention. They just can't because the numbers are too big. If it was a more smaller number like last year, we could do it. But it's not. We're talking, we're going to be talking to prepare for 12 to 10,000, 12 to 15,000 people. This is a big deal. And with the governor's EO and he's up to 25 or whatever, a lot of them were concerned. Not, that's not my concern. My concern is I don't think less than 1% should be picking a nominee. That's just elitist. It sounds like an aristocracy. It's just crazy talk to me. I think that you should have the most people voting. That's why I've always supported the primary. So, you know, I'm, you know, I think Mike was misled. I've worked with Mike. I've worked with Mike Ginsburg. We've been in the trenches together. However, I do not know why he allowed himself to be used by some of the more bad faith actors in the Republican Party. In the 5th District, in the 6th District, um, and in, in our National Committee woman, who, you know, that's a whole other saga there for another time. But I mean, I, I think I mean, I, I think we'll probably have some of our viewers know about that. But I believe you're talking about she was the one who came under fire for uh, a, an anti and I believe it was an anti-Semitic Facebook post is, is I believe she was the one who came under fire for that. Yeah, it, it ended up in like the Jerusalem Post and some other um, pro uh, Israel news outlets, which never heard of anyone getting national attention over a comment on Facebook. We live in Virginia. Israel's on the other side of the Atlantic. I'm like, oh, this is this is not going well. And my faith, and I'm just going like, in a year where we're the only competitive game in town, we do not need this. As someone, Trevor can speak to this. Both of us have to go to our national organizations and lobby for extra states to come into Virginia. It's the same thing that I did in 2019. It's the same thing I've done every single year since I was vice chair, bringing other states into these off-year elections to have more boots on the ground. By the grace of God, it seems like the C that we're going to have a Virginia running the CRs. Uh, it looks that way. I'm really excited about that. But we have to go there. And the first thing I have to deal with is, Thomas, what's wrong with, your, what's wrong with Virginia? And I just go, like, because I have to sit there and, and say, why would we come to Virginia? If you guys have all this chaos, I mean, my, you know, it's crazy talk. And so we, there's a level of responsibility there. Um, and this is a big year for us. We actually have a shot. Ralph Northam is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, he's like today, you know, talking 25 people can gather outside now in the fresh air. While the small businesses are suffering. That's what I want to be talking about right now. Or the fact that I'm at work and I'm hearing stories from my coworkers saying, my daughter cries every night because she can't go to school for friends. Like, we can't talk about that because we're too busy, you know, having our leaders saying, oh, I'm, I'm a child because I got mad because I couldn't give a report. Or, my goodness, you know, we're, I'm un-American for representing my constituency and the grassroots. We can't talk about the good meat. And, you know, it's shameful. Like, you have my good friend Alicia, who literally was on a radio show speaking a different perspective, getting shouted down. I'm sitting here saying, you know, what on earth? This, this young woman worked in a very tough district as our banner, as our nominee. And I have the Trump chair for Virginia and the national committee woman shouting her down because she's giving a different perspective. I thought I was, well, I thought I was listening to CNN where we have a real conservative getting beat up. It was, it was just amazing to me. And I said, our candidates, I said, well, why would someone in a, a in a tough district like the 10th or, you know, a tough district in Northern Virginia run for the house of delegates, if they have a different opinion about an issue, they're going to get afraid and get shouted down 
by the Trump, the victory chairman for Virginia and their national committee moment. Why would they want to run? Because they're going to think they're not going to have the support. I think that's a lot of good points, but Alicia, I'm going to bring you back in here. Uh, obviously, the convention place, as we said, it's going to happen. We, we think it's going to happen in Lynchburg, but Lynchburg, as much as I'm sure, I've never been down there, but I've heard it's a fine city. It's a great little town, but uh, that's not necessarily a central location, uh, especially for those from Northern Virginia or the Eastern Shore, where voters there are going to be very crucial for the Republican Party. So do you think that this decision about the location of this as Trevor would call it, unassembled, assembled convention, uh, you know, is, is what it, you know, is this, is this a choice to just let it to be, again, like the most conservative members of these committees from the 6th, the 9th, and the 5th, making the decision instead of those vote, instead of those from the important places, like in the 7th, the 2nd, the 10th, the 11th, the 8th, where we have a more diverse group of opinions? Ultimately, I think that disenfranchising people from all over the Commonwealth is a terrible idea, especially knowing that I'm not 100% confident the exact number of votes that Bob Good got, but I'm pretty sure I got more. Um, I got 210,000 votes. Um, I know Barbara Comstock, when she ran two years before me, she got 160,000. I got 210,000 when I ran. Um, I know that there's an extraordinary number of votes up in the northern part of the state that are going to be germane to anyone running statewide and you're going to need them. Um, and so disenfranchising people in the northern part of the state because they don't fit your perfect cookie cutter, whatever, is just dumb. So we need to make sure that we value every person in the Commonwealth. So this whole everyone has to be in the fifth and the sixth, it just frustrates me. But I can tell you that the people up here are pissed. And so they're ready to roll and they're going to come down in giant numbers. And so I hope they're ready because the northern part of the state's going to come down to Lynchburg and we're going to come down in style and we're going to come down in coach buses and we're going to come down ready to win. So I hope the people are ready because we are not going to let some people in the fifth and the sixth dictate what the rest of the Commonwealth's going to do. Because I assure you, we're not going to let a bunch of people tell us how we're going to win in the Commonwealth. Um, it's just not how it's going to work. We, we want to make sure every voice is heard. And it's very frustrating to me, just like it is to, you know, everybody else on this, that when one voice to me is like on the bully pulpit, you know, they think that they're the only voice that matters. And they're the ones that are destroying our party. And it's almost like a cancer. They just are eating and it's corrosive. And they're the ones that are fracturing our party. And yes, I got I got lit up, lit up because I said, you know what? I didn't agree necessarily what Mr. Turner did, but I understood. I understood why he got mad. Two years, two years, he didn't get to give a report. Two years of pounding the dang pavement for candidates and not getting to tell exactly what they did. Two years. Y'all, if I had to go two months without telling my husband what kind of groceries I was bringing home, I'd be throwing them across the kitchen. So I can tell you that I can't imagine what it would be like not being able to tell the good news of what I did for candidates in this great Commonwealth. So I, I assure you, I can, I can empathize. But what I think that we're really missing here is the people that on that call that were truly dismissed. You know, people that were talking about nursing mothers. There were people that were talking about, you know, needing the ability to have somewhere to nurse that were literally laughed off. People that don't have the ability to drive a vehicle. You know, there's people that have been out of work for the past year that don't have the financial capability to just drive to the other side of the Commonwealth, you know, and it's not being rude to say that, you know, there are people that just financially don't have it. And us ignoring that right now just is tone deaf. Or not understanding that right now there's kids that just there are people that have their kids at home that don't have childcare because they can't afford it. Or maybe they're single parents that just don't have the ability to take their small children halfway to Timbuktu or don't have the money to be able to pay $300, $400, $500 for a hotel room. Or honestly, don't want to put their kids in a car for five hours one way. I don't know about you, but my three children in a car for five hours is pretty much torture. So, you know, like being real and being real about the Commonwealth, you know, and I've heard stories from a lot of younger people that 
they have graduation in those coming weeks and they're having to having people that if they're going to walk that actually have to quarantine prior to walking and so they're having to choose between voting voting or quarantining to get to walk y'all that's crap you know they're having to choose between a combination of so much hard work and getting to get their high school diplomas or coming to a convention that's unacceptable there's students in my district that are in boarding school that because of their boarding school they can't travel we have military people who aren't going to get their votes cast because in this convention their votes don't matter all of these people are disenfranchised voters that because their votes don't matter in our commonwealth during this convention they will not vote in november and we need every single solitary boot on the deck but keep shaking that magic eight ball see how it works out for you yeah so yeah I, it's in it's another good way to lay me into kind of my next topic back to trevor again here Again, this is another time when the Republican Party of Virginia has chosen a convention. They did it in 2013. You know, they they, they did it in, in 2016, I believe. Uh, you know, it's just, it's happening again and again and again. And do you feel like, is the party at this point purposely leaving out some demographics of voters at this point? Like, like Alicia Member mentioned, young adults, students, members of the military, single parents. I mean, at this point, when you're doing this again and again, is, is the party purposely leaving out those demographics? Yeah, I, I think there's a definition of insanity that comes to mind, right? Um, that just with, with the convention style, um, just disenfranchises so many people. I made a couple of notes while uh, Ms. Andrews was speaking. Um, my, I mean, my constituency is, is college Republicans. Um, you know, I think what's going on in the mind of some of the state central members is, well, well, you know, a mother who is breastfeeding can just kind of deal with it. She can just do it while she's dry, or like some, like like a fundamental like misunderstanding of like how that works. Um, but like my CRs, some of them cannot leave campus. If they leave campus, they get expelled. They go home. They're done. Like they're done. They say your education is done for. So you're like with this decision, we're disenfranchising like th I mean potentially thousands of college students that would have been voting. Um, in, in, in these elections. Now, again, um, I talk, I mentioned the irony um, on the state central meeting um, about the, like, if we had held this at a different, at a different time, which a lot of, um, by the way, May 8th is during, uh, is, is during Liberty's uh, finals week. Um, so we're going to be a little bit busy during that time, as you, I'm sure you can imagine. Um, but like, like just if it had been held any later, um, the chairwoman of the College Republicans at Liberty University, who is, again, we're College Republicans. We vote Republican. We want to vote in the nomination. Um, she is from Texas. The first vice chair is from North Carolina and the second vice chair is from Maryland. But they vote here. They consider this their home. They consider Lynchburg their home. They consider Liberty their home. But they wouldn't be able to vote unless they traveled hours and hours to go to go vote. Um, and going back to another point, um, you know, how Lynchburg is not a central part of Virginia. We're lucky it was in Lynchburg. I mean, there was ideas like Tennessee being thrown around. Why would we do that? Why, that, that makes no sense. <laughs> like imagine, I mean, if we're talking about making international news or national news. I mean, I mean, come on, that really would have been a joke. Um, but so, so talking, going, going about the, the disenfranchisement. Um, yeah, my CRs, my college Republicans um, are gonna be extremely disenfranchised. Um, many of them don't know what a mass meeting is. They don't know how to get pre-registered for a convention. Because, uh, I mean, the general population, 95% of people do not know what that means. I, I'd even say it's 99% of people don't know what that means. I, as of two years ago, I had no clue. I was a Republican my entire life. I'm a conservative. I had no clue what that was. Um, there was no way that I was going to go to a mass meeting in, in, in my, my, my home committee of Fairfax um, and just, just show up and be like, okay, I'm here to vote. And then I have to drive three and a half hours down to Lynchburg in a place where I don't know where I'm going, like stuff like that. Our RCR is also um, part of the convention process is a weighted vote that Ms. Andrews had mentioned earlier. Um, we don't get a weighted vote. We're split up across the entire Commonwealth. We don't get a weighted vote, um, which is, is, is the whole thing is disenfranchising. Um, the whole thing is just, is this, um, it's confusing. It's muddled. It's, it, I heard someone say it's clear as mud. Um, and it, it's just, it's awful. A primary is the way to go 100% of the time. And if one of our nominees or one of the, one of the candidates that, that is running in a primary that we do not want, right? I, I've always been, I, there, there's someone, I don't necessarily have someone that I'm for, but I know who I'm against. But 
it's my job to work my tail off to make sure that, that person does not get their their nominee their their the nomination and other people are not willing to to work the same amount to make sure that that some people do not get the nomination for our party yeah and i mean i guess the kind of same thing to guess to you thomas i mean young adults especially in the in the pandemic have you know they've been hit with the job losses they've been hit by the fact of quarantining you know a lot of young adults you know they're working through grad school or they're in entry level jobs areas that have been you know hit hard by the pandemic i mean do you do you expect that turnout among your demographic your age demographic will be way down in this convention style compared to what it could have potentially been if it was a primary oh absolutely i mean you know I have moms in my federation, moms that have little, that have children that are toddlers. Um, I have police officers, firemen. They are first responders. Let's just say they sign up for the convention. They get called in the night before. They're not coming. Their families are not going to come because dad or mom is, you know, defending, you know, putting out a fire or, you know, beating up a robber. Um, you know, we, I have people in the military. I come from a military family. Hampton Roads, where I'm from, or the Tidewater area, um, the beach. Um, we have one of the biggest military communities in the Commonwealth. And there's been discussion, like in our party, about in our party plan. You know, I've been voicing one of the concerns I voiced was the Hatch Act, and it varies. You know, it's not clear, but a lot of military people don't who are active duty or work for the DoD. Don't go to partisan conventions because they think they're going to be breaking an order from the Department of Defense. Our party plan, full disclosure, because someone, someone reads to me, well, our party plan says we, they can absentee vote. They still won't do it. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm going, we're supposed to be the party that's pro-military. And you're really just saying to the military, oh, it's okay. Um, you don't, we, don't need you to, we don't need your opinion on this matter. And it's that elitist attitude. And really, you know, and it's amazing that we're even talking this way about those who have put their necks on the line. My, you know, I have senior staff that has served in Afghanistan and Iraq, um, who has been in some of the harshest situations. I have, you know, people in my organization that have worked for the intelligence industry um, and have told me like, their friends are not gonna go into this. And I'm sitting there going, well, I have to keep pressing for a process that's going to have the most votes to happen. Um, and so I, that's why I kept pressing for a primary. I dug my heels in. And because I felt like I had to. It's the same thing where I was hearing from, you know, the moms. I don't know anything about, you know, nursing a kid. I'm, I'm a guy. I don't know anything about that or the difficulty that is. I know on my job I've had to put up a shelter for moms to do that. So it's a very difficult thing for moms to do. Um, and, you know, I don't know, sitting in a car for five hours, six hours, if for some reason they don't want to do the single ballot, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, what's really interesting is we always want to, everyone wants to tout off that the one nomination method is, is for the base and the other one is for the establishment. And for years I was called the establishment Rhino, because I like primaries. That's what I was called. And I said, well, because our meetings have been on Zoom publicly, I found out that there are people to the left of me and to the right of me in the Republican Party who actually have all said primary. Literally, even in, in the 5th Congressional District, where a part of this convention will be at if this concocted plan is, comes to be, because um, the other part's going to be in the 6th District. Um, you know, even those who support conventions have emailed me and said, Mr. Chairman, Thomas, I, you, I am a convention guy. However, in this climate, you are doing the right thing. I've had, like I said before, unit chairman text me in the meeting, keep fighting. And these are in the 5th and 6th district. And I, wanna, I wonder why Melvin Adams, Ed Show, and others are not even listening to their own unit chairs and activists. I want to know why in the world, you know, we have, why they're not listening to them. Why in the world is, uh, you know, why did I listen to him? I don't get it. If I voted for a convention, oh my goodness, my board would eat me for lunch. As they should. And the same with Trevor. And Trevor knows I'm right. Our, my, our boards would eat me for lunch. They said, Thomas, we didn't elect you for this. I was unopposed. 
for chairman. Unopposed. I had a mandate. Myself and my two state central representatives had a mandate to vote for primaries. A mandate. We had no opponent to vote for this. So I did what the will of my organization mandated me to do. And I will continue to do that as long as I'm the chairman of this organization. Because that is what my job is. I take that seriously when I served on the district committee outside of YRFE. I did the same thing when I was the vice chairman of my unit. I did my best to represent the constituency I was elected to do, to represent. We're a representative body. We're representative of the grassroots. That's what State Central is. We are a representative body. And we have too many people on State Central that use this for power or to make money or to push a candidate one way or the other. And it's utterly ridiculous. And the grassroots is getting tired. They're getting extremely tired because when they hear it's like, well, you could have voted for an unassembled convention and got a compromise. No, they said no. I had units that have supported conventions for years send resolutions to state central members. And then we have state central members saying, we're having a convention, get over it. I'm like, we're getting tens, hundreds of emails, Facebook messages, comments on Facebook from the Trump wing, the mainstream wing, the evangelical Christians, the, the suburban moms, everyone, I'm, I'm hearing primary. Everywhere I go, Thomas, primary. And I'm not hearing convention or unassembled convention. I'm hearing primary. And so when it was hard for me to come to the table and say I wanted a canvas, I was like, well, you know what? It's the best of both worlds. It's not exactly everything I want, but I get about, I get about, I get about 75%. At least more people can vote. Nope. That's too difficult. Well, we've been doing firehouse primaries for state legislators. We're obviously doing it for a ton of the state house races. It's the best of both worlds. A canvas. And they're like, nope, we want a convention. You guys want to vote for this? You know, I, I, I think there's a, one of the actives out in the 5th District said, well, we, we were going to make them suffer. That's what he said. We're going to make them suffer for not voting our way. Because the majority is right. Robert's Rules of Order gives the minority the right to speak. That is the purpose of a anybody that uses a parliamentary procedure. The minority has the right to speak. Guess what? We're a strong minority. And we've been standing firm, listening. I mean, literally, the people are calling us the champions of the grassroots. Never thought of my wildest dreams in my 10 years having people say that I'm championing grassroots. I've never been called that because I've been called some horrendous things. Um, and so it, it was encouraging. And you know, I appreciate people, you know, when I'm on Facebook arguing with people that I've never met, saying, no, he's right. That's what we want. We don't want this. But, you know? but it ultimately goes back to that the culture of State Central where we have people who want to, to gut people like Trevor and myself and the VFRW. They've literally said, we are not the grassroots. Actually, one of the people said, we are unelected. I'm sitting here, the first black chair of this organization here in, uh, sitting here and I'm like, I was elected. Not because of my skin color, because I was qualified. But you're, you're not, what are you saying to the masses who don't think like that? who do think more in identity politics. They're saying, why, you know, they're making my job hard to go defend conservative values when I'm sitting at the barbershop getting my hair cut, where I'm going there and saying, do you understand why you need to consider voting for the Republican Party? Your taxes just went up. Gas prices just went up. Because they see us talking about this convention nonsense. I can't talk about kitchen table issues when I go to the grocery store. That's my job as a party official. We're supposed to be ambassadors of the Republican Party to our communities, whether we represent the YRs, the VFRW, the 1st District, the 2nd District, the 3rd District, the 9th District. Um, you know, my final point um, with the convention location, if you look Lynchburg, it is three and a half hours from my house. The majority of my trip is on 460. I have a slight break on the interstate. For most of the people traveling there, most of it is not on a major interstate. To get to a major interstate, from we'll be going towards Roanoke, which is an hour away from Lynchburg, from where I live. If people, and so it's not central. It's the same argument I had to deal with in my state federation. 
where people were upset that we weren't having the our events in, in Lynchburg as often. It's like it's not centralized because there's no major interstate. And, you know, I am, I am concerned because even the people in Southwest Virginia, the majority of their delegation voted against Lynchburg. <laughs> you have like so the argument that the West is being ignored. I mean, the most Western part didn't want it. The majority of their delegation didn't vote for it. And it, I, I just feel like they're trying to tip the scales to keep a small control at all. And I'm sitting there going, that's not going to work. People, you know, one of the things that President Trump has did was bust that door down. Whether you agree with his style or not, he bust that door down. So I really think that we've made a mistake. And I'm sadly thinking we're going to pay for it in November. Okay, and that's going to kind of lead into my final question then, which will be for all three of you. I'll let you all take about five minutes to answer it. But uh, clearly there is someone at the head of all this, and that is Rich Anderson, who was just recently elected as chair of the Republican Party of Virginia. But, and this is, again, to all three of you, if November ends badly, no, let's, you know, worst case scenario, no gains in the House of, in the House of Delegates, lose all three of the statewide races by, you know, six points or more, should Rich Anderson then resign as chairman of the Republican Party of Virginia? And we'll just start from the top here of Trevor. Should he resign? I think it, I think it leaves him with a difficult choice. Um, this past summer, um, we, we elected a new chairman, obviously, as Mr. Anderson, um, against uh, two choices. Um, one who was kind of nominated from that very pro, pro, pro convention side, just the I don't even know how to explain like that side. Um, and then against who kind of was our nominee uh, who came from the very pro-primary side um, and out of a three-way race, the incumbent lost and, and came in the bottom. I mean, there's ranked choice of voting involved and, and everything like that. Um, but it was because a lot of these losses had been laid at his feet. Um, and, and basically we're, we were saying as a party, like, um, you know, people were going and voting and saying, why has Virginia turned so blue and this is this must be the, the fault of of someone. Now, what I heard from um, someone high up in, in one of the campaigns uh, in this 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 past one um, one of these special elections here was we had no help from RPV. Was was there was no one there when I when we were crying for help when we were calling for help no one showed up. Um, I know YRs came. I know CRs came. We showed up. We door knocked. We were there. We were we were helping out in that district. The the what I'm seeing now. Um, when I first kind of got involved in, in like re re the Republican Party was I thought to myself, man, I got involved at the wrong time. I had seen convention after convention after convention completely go wrong, be messed up because of COVID, be messed up because of leadership, be messed up of the completely wrong people. Now, Ms. Andrews had said earlier that there's a lot of people in Northern Virginia and her district that are fired up. They just they just poked a sleeping bear. Really, they poked, they poked a sleeping bear. They have, they have, this is their final time. This is the last time that they get to um, really just kind of, like, like Thomas said, try to keep it small and control it all. So I'm fired up. I'm ready to get all my CRs there. Um, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to help YRs get there. I, like we said, buses, whatever it takes. Buses, if I need to drive to Richmond myself and, and use the three seats or four seats I have in my car uh, and get someone and get people there, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Um, they're going to try to like introduce those amendments to rip off our state central seats, I'm, I'm assuming, because they just sometimes just do whatever can make the most people mad at any one time. And I hope my 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 hope what's what my heart's telling me is that we introduce an amendment that's really 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 gonna suck for them really gonna suck i mean it is just going to stick a heart it's just gonna stick a knife in their heart and twist and we're gonna try to get as many people we can there that are of our same thinking that represent the majority of virginians i think my stepdad's watching right now and he is mad right now he's like why can't i vote why 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 do i <laughs> why can't i vote why why am i being disenfranchised that, that feeling is being felt across the Commonwealth, across Virginia. People are waking up, they're realizing what's going on and they're gonna get involved. So when I said to myself, I got involved at the, at the wrong time, I got involved at the right time. And here we are, it's, it's time to get this done. It's time to get people there and I'm, I'm fired up, I'm ready to do it. All right, like I said, same question to you, Thomas. If, if, every, if the worst case scenario happens, should Rich Anderson resign? 
You know, the question is, um, you know, his leadership hasn't been involved in this process to begin with. Um, if it wasn't for Vice Chairman Way, we probably wouldn't even be having still this discussion. Um, so honestly, I haven't seen a lead on this. Um, and the lack of communication from the top has been concerning for me since his election on day one. Full, um, you know, 60, they, everyone loves to tell he got 62% of the vote. He has a mandate. Yes, he does. And I haven't seen him use it. Um, so on the issue of leadership, it, it's been lacking. Um, and that's coming from people who even supported him. It's just lacking. It's disappointing. But, you know, like I said, I try to give everyone a fair shake, even if I didn't vote for him, which I did not. Um, you know, I try to give him a fair shake. Um, you know, this whole process was a convention. <laughs> I'm going to be going to Lynchburg. Not a problem. I'll get on 4-6. I know how to get there. I did it for four years. I was going to Liberty. Um, if I have to go pick up some YRs along the way, like Trevor said, I guess we'll do that. Um, if, you know, one year, uh, 2016, I had a high schooler first time voting in the convention. I went to his house. I talked to parent approval, obviously. He was 18. And he got in my car. He, I paid for his hotel room. I paid for his food, and he, so he could vote, because that's how much I passionately feel about this. Because the first time I voted in a, in a Republican process was in two thousand eight in a primary. That's why this is so. This is at the core of it. That's why it's that's so important to me. That's when I told people I was a Republican. Now, if there was a convention, I would have been able to navigate it as a new voter. I didn't have a car. I literally was eighteen, still in high school. And I cast my ballot on primary day for Mike Huckabee. Yes, Mike Huckabee. Um, because that's who I thought could be good, would be a good president. And guess what? He didn't win that nomination that year. John McCain didn't. You know what I did? I voted for John McCain because I'm like, well, my guy didn't get the votes. But this guy won. I agree with him on a lot of stuff. I'm going to vote for him. But it was because I was able to have my voice heard I made a commitment to support the team. And I learned that, that style because the process was open. And, you know, I, would, I was hoping during this process that, that during the cooling off period that we had, which was ridiculous, or when people were adjourning the meeting because they weren't getting their way, I adjourned. I was like, but we're not done with the agenda. <laughs> um, I was hoping the chairman would have said something. He said, I'm going to be neutral on a motion to adjourn. Um, I just feel like he says he wasn't tipping the skills. I think he did. Um, and I think there's going to be a mistrust between a huge chunk of that body and a huge chunk of the grassroots in him that he's going to have to work on this year. Uh, we have, um, there's some concerns there. And also with our other senior officers, they were nowhere to be found in the negotiation if they weren't instigating the drama themselves making salacious claims about my organization that I still haven't seen proof about. Um, or attacking my officers who literally used to travel three and four hours with me across this state, helping me get 500,073 voter contacts last year. And they're sitting there attacking because they're being vocal or they're too mean. And I'm sitting here going, they're mean, they're mad. Because you're not listening. And the only time you listen is when we get angry. And I don't like doing that. I wasn't raised to yell. I wasn't. I shouldn't have to do that to, be, to have my organization heard. Or, to, or feel like I have to speak up for my, brothers, my little brothers and sisters in the college Republicans or the teenage Republicans now. I literally... Almost I literally had a dude travel 150 miles to confront me over the teenage Republicans at the last year's on the Civil Convention to the point where I had to step in between him and my local YR chair. And this is a grown man trying to go after a woman, a young woman. I actually thought I had to, I actually thought it was gonna get physical. That's where the state of our party is right now. And it's time for some restorations and resetting. It's time for rebuilding, you know. Um, and, you know, Trevor said he came. I don't, I don't believe anything's by happenstance. You know, I'm a believer. I, you know, I'm reminded in Esther that there's a time that Mordecai told Esther, you're here for a reason. And I think that 
myself, Trevor, Alicia, and so many others are put in these positions for a reason because God has put us here. I am not afraid to say that. I'm not ashamed to say that. And we are here to fight for the causes of our party and fight for our generations and fight for our communities because that's what this party is about. I became a Republican on my own through people planting seeds in me. It wasn't embedded in me by, like so many of my colleagues on State Central. I came into it through reading and research and, and my teachers giving me books about Frederick Douglass and other people. That's how I became a Republican. And so I am gonna fight to make sure that my generation has a seat at the table. I am, and if they wanna bring those amendments, if I, that's the last fight I have to do as a chairman of this organization, I'll do it. And, you know, it's not, and to my, you know, I'm not afraid to do that because wrong is wrong and right is right. And if I'm gonna hold the Democrats accountable, I have to hold myself accountable and my other Republican colleagues accountable because it does not do us any good to the voters if we're not holding our own accountable and make sure that we're promoting the principles of this party, limited government, fiscal responsibility, a strong national defense, protecting kitchen table issues, listening to different communities on perspectives and bringing a conser conservative result. I mean, that's, I mean, because every time I talk about these issues, even the most liberal person says, oh, wow, you're right. I'm going to consider, I'm going to have to start thinking differently. I talk about the barbershop a lot because that's my culture. That's black culture. We talk politics at the barbershop. I'm sitting in the chair getting my hair cut. Last, on Saturday morning, my barber picks six o'clock in the morning so we can talk shop before everyone comes in because it does get heated. I'm the Republican. It gets heated. So he can talk to me. Do we agree on everything? No. But he started watching Fox News. He's like, I have to start listening to the other side because you're starting to give me the questions and stuff. So that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm already talking to candidates. My YRs have organized these brain trusts with the party officials in these districts where we didn't have candidates. So when they say, oh, you're not focused on Democrats? Yes, I am. I can chew gum and walk at the same time. I can deal with the procedural nonsense of State Central and prepare candidates to run for office. That's our job. I would, so while, my, while they say, oh, you guys are just bickering, no, we're, no, 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 no. We're, we're gearing up. I hope to see 100 candidates run. Even if they, don't, even if they get 30%, they bring it out, they're going to squeeze every Republican vote out because that's what it's going to take because we're dealing with crazy voter fraud. We're dealing with new laws that the Democrats, Democrats codified from last year. Um, we have electoral boards that don't know what the heck they're doing. Um, and so we got a lot, we have an uphill battle, so we have to do what we got to do. And that's by running these candidates. And now we have to deal with local races, um, with Commonwealth attorneys races this year, where we know that we have, we know that the far left is now targeting Commonwealth attorneys because they want lawlessness. So we got, we got to have boots on the ground ready to go. And that's what wire feed's going to do. I know that's what CRV is going to do. And I know that's what Alicia is going to do. I know she's going to do it. So, you know, to Chairman Anderson, I'm going to say this to him. I said, I, I pray that you start growing a spine and leading. Because I think that's going to be the decision making in November, win or lose. I expect the chairman, whether I agree with him or not, to lead. And, and, and it's not a question of resigning. It's a question of leadership. Okay. So Alicia, you'll, you'll get the final word on this for the night. Same question as these two guys had worst case scenario happened. Should Rich Anderson resign as chairman of the Republican party of Virginia? I think right now Republicans need a leader. We are not looking for someone to rescue us or to save us because we have to save ourselves. But right now the Republican party's broke. We don't have a leader. We have someone who has let us flail. We have an election in a few months with no actual fully nomination process set in stone. And that all falls at the feet of the chairman. I think that if we do not win in November, that does fall directly at his feet. If we do not flip the house, it falls directly at his feet. If we do not staff every single solitary seat, it falls directly at his feet. Because if we are doing inter-party fighting instead of doing his job, it falls directly at his feet. So all of his campaign promises were those. That he was going to support the candidates 
He was going to fill all these seats, and he was going to make sure Virginia was winning again. If you cannot fulfill your promises, you do not deserve the seat. So we need someone who's going to do the job. So if you can't do the job, you don't need to be there. So I will hold everyone accountable the same way that I have all the time. And you guys know that my Twitter fingers will hold you accountable if I think you're doing a bad job. Um, but I think that Mr. Mr. Anderson will do the right thing. If he is not able to do the job, I think he will step down. But ultimately, we don't, I'm a Christian. I don't need a savior. I have one. Um, and I think we need to stop as the Republican Party looking for one. We don't need one. We need to be able to save ourselves. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we need to get our big girl britches on, our big boy britches on, and figure our stuff out. Stop acting like children and start working together and holding our leadership accountable, especially when they lie to us to our faces and make sure that those people are no longer in leadership positions when it comes to vote again. And uh, you can take my word to the bank. I will be putting someone up against each person that lies to us and uh, make sure that they don't have the opportunity to do that again. Okay, well, I, I, as we, before we um, uh, head off here, I want to thank every single one of you for coming on tonight. Uh, I've We've talked about Virginia three times. I've had, this is the sixth episode of Tough Talk. I've talked about Virginia three times, uh, not only because of the Republican Party of Virginia always seemingly being in the news, because as Thomas said, Virginia is the only competitive party in the game uh, when it comes to 2021. So stick with us here on Elections Daily for Virginia 2021 coverage uh, as we continue to go on towards November. Uh, I've always said maybe this will be the time I have a break. Uh, I don't know if the Republican Party of Virginia will let me have that. We'll probably be back here in a month again to discuss it. Uh, but I want to again thank Trevor, Thomas, and Alicia all for coming on tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for watching. This has been Tough Talk. I am Joe Tomansky. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for watching, and have a great rest of your evening. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.